The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Good morning, Grace Fellowship. Man, we can just keep on singing and then go home. Thank you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much again for giving us this day. We thank you that you allowed us to gather once more in the house of prayer. And as we continue to look at prayer this morning, I pray that you would give us spiritual ears to really hear what you want us to hear from your word this morning. Amen. I want to continue our talk to you this morning about asking, seeking, and knocking as we discussed last Sunday. But before we begin, I want to read three separate passages because there's a lot happening in a week, right, from this last Sunday to this Sunday. If you watch the news, speaking of which, I went to a doctor, and I thought, I'll share it with you. I thought it was funny. Um, I said, Doc, when is, when is this COVID thing going to be over? He said, I don't know. I'm not a politician. <laughs> but I want to ask you some questions before I get. Several years ago, there was drought in California. I don't know if you've talked about. There was water shortage. So is drought a part of God's judgment? Is this disease like the coronavirus or any other plague that we experience, are they part of judgment of God? Economic recession or war, devastation, are they judgments of God? So first I want to read from Book of Amos, and I'm going to read, sometimes I have to read different translations because, you know, English is my second language, it's easier for me to understand, um, from the New Living Translation. Now, it's just a f- paraphrase, so I don't typically preach from this, but I want to read it to you. It says, in Amos 4, verses 4 through 12, it says, Go ahead and offer sacrifices to idols at Bethel. Keep on disobeying at Gilgal and other sacrifice, offer sacrifices each morning and bring your tithes every three days. Present your bread you made with yeast as an offering in thanksgiving. Then give your extra voluntary offerings so that you can brag about it everywhere. This is the kind of thing you Israelites love to do says the Sovereign Lord. I brought hunger to every city and famine to every town, but still you would not return to me, says the Lord. I kept rain from falling when your crop needed the most. I sent rain to one town and withheld it from another. Rain fell on one field while another field withered away. People staggered from town to town looking for water, but there was never enough. But still you would not return to me, says the Lord. I struck your farms and vineyards and blight and mildew, locusts, devoured all your fig and olive trees, but still you would not return to me, says the Lord. I sent plagues on you like the plagues I sent on Egypt long ago. I killed your young men in war and led your horses away. The stench of death filled the air, but still you would not return to me, says the Lord. I destroyed some of your cities. I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Those who you survived were like charted sticks pulled from a fire, but still you would not return to me says the Lord. Therefore, I will bring upon you all the disasters I have announced. Prepare to meet your God in judgment, people of Israel. And then in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 28, um, it talks about blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And in verses uh, 27, 28, it says, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion 
of the heart. Doesn't that sound like a lot today? Confusion of the heart? These things happening to us, are they judgment of God? My friend, I don't think they're judgment of God yet, but they are a call of God. I think, you know, lest we come into the judgment. It's amazing to watch the news, watch people talk about various things, and how people break God's commandments over and over again. They resist His loving warnings. And when hardships come, which are basically of our own making, we blame God. Where is God? And, you know, when God said through Amos to his ancient people, you haven't seen anything yet. So this coronavirus, folks, we haven't seen anything yet. You know, God said here, I sent drought, I sent depression, I sent war, I begged with you, I pleaded with you, you would not return. These are all precursors to the real judgment. And then he says, be prepared to meet your God in judgment. And my friends, I fear what God was saying to his ancient people of that day, he is saying to us today. And then I want you to read another scripture with me before we jump into our study. It's James 5, 16 through 18. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Are we praying for one another? And I mean really praying. Are we knocking, seeking? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and earth produced its fruit. Now the scripture I want to look at for today is this scripture James is referring to and found in 1 Kings chapter 18. It gives this episode of James is talking about. And Elijah lived during the darkest uh, moments of Israel's history. After Solomon's death, there was civil war. Uh, the nation was divided. They had Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Does that sound like our nation? We're getting divided. They had 19 consecutive wicked kings in a row. I hope we don't have 19 wicked presidents in a row. But it wasn't until King Ahab and Jezebel rose to power and they began leading people to worship a Baal. And God said, enough. Enough is enough. And God raised up Elijah, nobody from nowhere, who God decided to make us somebody somewhere for his glory. And Elijah responded to the call of God. He immediately had an audience with the king. He said, it's not going to rain for three years, three and a half years. God said so. And the, the reason, the significance of this prophecy is because their false worship God, Baal, he was a Canaanite god of rain, agriculture, fertility. So in essence, God, through Elijah, was calling up Ahab and saying, your God can't give you what he's supposed to give, rain for your agriculture and things, so it's not going to rain for three and a half years. So basically to prove that they were frauds, and after three and a half years, Elijah prayed, and I want to look at that prayer with you guys. And let's begin reading in 1 Kings chapter 18, 41 through 46. 
Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat, go up, eat and drink, for there is sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time, and he said, There's a cloud as small as man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime, the sky became black with the clouds and wind, and there was heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to enter Jezreel. Now I want to talk to you about praying for rain. You know, somebody said there's dust on your Bible, there's drought in the heart. And when I'm talking about rain, I'm talking about spiritual revival. I feel that's what we need, not just as a church, but everybody individually and in our nation. And, you know, uh, and I want to look at this prayer. You will see the asking, the seeking, the knocking that Elijah does here. And, you know, I really think it's time for us to learn how to pray. And hopefully you've seen in the last sermon, asking, seeking, knocking, what that means. And we'll see how Elijah's praying in this. So we can get a sense of what those prayers were like and compare our prayers to those prayers. And most of us are, you know, crying, where's God? Where's the God of Elijah, Abraham, and so forth? Well, God's probably looking and saying, where are my Elijahs? Where are my Abrahams? You know, Andrew Murray, in studying for prayer, did a lot of reading from Murray and uh, Tory. Uh, he said this, in relation to his people, God works only in answer to their prayers. In relation to his people, God works only in answer to their prayers. I have to think about that because that's a big statement. And because, you, because before you disagree with it, I had to ponder on it. I want you to understand that he was one of the wisest and spiritual people of our centuries. And I want you to listen again. In relation to his people, God works only in answer to their prayers. And Tori the great Bible scholars of yesterday, he said, nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer, but that that lies outside of the will of God. Think about that. And I said, when we depend on our organization, we get what organizations can do. When we depend on education, we get what education can do, and that's something. When we depend on money, we get what money can do. That's also something. And when we depend on singing or preaching, that's also something. But when we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do. And all of our churches, homes, schools, individuals need what God can do. In the prayer of our hearts, how should we get God to do work through our prayers? Your hearts need to be right. Times we pray and we wonder why there's no answers. Well, our hearts is not right with God. And, and really, if you think about it, it says effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Righteous man avails much. And Elijah was a righteous man. James used him as an illustration how to pray for rain. And Elijah, if you think about it, he was up on top of that mountain not to demonstrate what he can do, but he was on top of that mountain to demonstrate what God can do. 
And I want to mention five things I want to saw this in his prayer. The first thing I see is that Elijah is praying with integrity. You must pray with integrity. I'm asking you, are you comp- compromising your personal integrity? What is integrity? You know, one definition was is what you are when nobody's watching. And I believe I shared with you, I asked one pastor to say he was a successful pastor, let's say, put it that way. I don't know if you can say successful, but I said, can you summarize your ministry in one word? He said integrity. 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 So if you look at 1 Kings 18, verse 42, it says, So Ahab went up to drink, eat and drink, and Elijah went up top of Carmel. Then he bowed down to the ground, put his face between his knees. What is this man doing? Is this some superhero? Is he a special creature? Is he an extraordinary man? Somebody built different fabric than we are? No, because in James, as we read, he said, Elijah was a man of nature like ours. In our lingo, we could say he put on his pants one leg at a time, just like us. He's not very different from you and I. As a matter of fact, he... If we continue reading the next chapter, he failed. He ran. He got depressed. He got discouraged. He was a very ordinary man. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a righteous man. And we need revival in our life, in our homes, in our city, in our country, and we need to pray. But God will not hear our prayers unless you're a righteous person. And the Bible says that all over the Scripture. If you look at Proverbs 15, 29, it says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. If you look at 1 Peter 3, 12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In Psalm 66, 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And the Bible says the Lord does not hear prayers of unrighteous, wicked people. Now, you know, sometimes people question me, God doesn't hear prayers. He is God. He hears prayers. He hears all prayers. So when I say he does not hear, he's not going to answer your prayer. He's not going to answer it. And again, Tori said this, and and I, I agree with it. That's why I'm sharing it with you. He said this. I give a prescription that will bring revival to any church or community or any city on earth. He says three things. First, let few Christians, they not need be many, get thoroughly right with God themselves. Get thoroughly right with God themselves. This is the prime essential. If this is not done, the rest of what I'm about to say will come to nothing. Second, let them bind themselves together in prayer group to pray for the revival until God opens the heavens and comes down. That You don't just pray once. He says you keep knocking until that happens, until you have the answer. Third, let them put themselves at the disposal of God for him to use as he sees fit in winning others to Christ. Sometimes we are afraid to pray because we're afraid what God might lead us to do. Folks, I'll tell you. Ask my wife, ask my father, ask anybody in my family. I did not plan to be your pastor. I did not plan it. I did not plan it. But you have to be ready to be used, to be a disposal. So if you say, God, 
send us revival. God, send you know, repentance to my family. And yet, you don't witness, you don't do anything. You have to be used. You have to be ready to be used by God. And he says, that's all. I've given this prescription around the world. It has been taken by many churches and many communities. In no instance has it ever failed. And it cannot fail. You will note he says that, though. There's first condition he gave God's people. Getting completely right with God. Folks, we're not perfect. But is there any known sin in your heart that you haven't confessed? Sometimes we surrender certain areas of our life, but we don't want to surrender something else. And that something else is preventing from God answering and hearing your prayers. Is your heart completely right? Have you confessed? And I'm not talking about perfection, folks. I always say it's not the perfection, it's the direction that you're going. We're all going to stumble and fall, but what are you doing about it? And sin cannot be condoned or covered. If there's to be revival, sin has to be dealt with. Sincerely dealt with, then rain will follow. I think I shared it with you before, the way they catch monkeys at the South Sea Islands. They take a coconut, they tie it to a tree, they put some rice in it, and then the monkey sees there's a, you know, they make a hole in there. It's just big enough for the hand to squeeze through. But when it has a fist, they can't pull it out. So it looks, there's a little rice. It goes in there, and it grabs the rice, then it starts panicking. And it won't let go of the rice. It's just, it's stuck. And the captures come and just get the monkey. But all the monkey has to do is just let go of that rice. And does that sound familiar? Anybody know anybody like that? We just don't want to let go? I know a lot of them, silly monkeys. And the reason our prayers are not answered is because there's something in our life we don't want to let go. And Psalm 66, as we read, said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Have you ever thought about why was he on the top of the mountain to begin with? Why did he have to go up there? What's taking place? Why is he praying for rain? We talked about evil kings, but it's not just the king. It's the people that went into sin as well. If you go back to 1 Kings in 17, uh, chapter 17, you will see him, uh, uh, Elijah before King Ahab, and you know, Ahab saying, you're the troublemaker. And he says, no, you're the troublemaker. You're causing all these things to come upon the people. And because of your idol worship, because of your sin, there's going to be no rain. Now, when we say rain, what happens? People suffering. The crops are suffering. It's devastation. For three and a half years, both land and people were suffering as a result of the conditions that existed. Sometimes we don't think about it because we don't want to learn or let go of certain things. Your other family members are suffering. Your family members are suffering. Church may be suffering because of your secret sins that you don't want to let go in your heart. But when sin is confronted and confessed, the heavens are open. And I'm telling you, if you pray for rain, we must pray with integrity. And in Proverbs 27 says, the righteous man will walk in his integrity. Um, second, I'm saying he's praying with intensity. If you look back at verse 42, it says, So Ahab went in to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. 
Then he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees. You know, as I read that, how important is prayer to Elijah? How important is it? Just like Ahab, you see it says, he says, so Ahab went up to eat and drink. Well, Elijah hadn't eaten and drank all day either. Why didn't Elijah go and have a nice meal before he prayed? Like, hey, I'm going to go down take care of this. I'm hungry. Get some water. Remember I said when we're starting fasting, the food really becomes important to us? But look how important it was to him. The difference between an active or mediocre believer and, you know, the, the spiritual giant that we see here is sometimes we're given up too easy because we want to fulfill the desires of our flesh. Elijah went where he could be alone on a mountaintop to pray. And he stood, he understood what Jesus taught where he said you have to go somewhere alone. For those certain prayers, remember I said sometimes I walk around, I work, I listen to sermons, I pray. But there's certain, there's certain prayer you have to go and get alone with God. And Jesus talked about it in Matthew 6, 6. It says, but when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. When he says room, it doesn't have to be a room. Somewhere you go alone. I've been doing that a lot lately. Somewhere you go alone. You just say, God, just let it all out. Pray. God, you said in your word, this is your promise. Send us rain. And the mark of any teacher or preacher is not how well he teaches here on Sunday. It's what he is in the prayer room. Folks, before, I'm not tooting my horn, Mike can tell you, I sometimes ask him to come along, Scott. Before the service, we pray. When I get here, I'm by myself, I'm in my office, just praying. God, use my words to penetrate the hearts of the people. Let them hear what you need them to hear. I don't know everybody's heart. I don't know everybody's situation. Elijah was a man who got along with God and got his face before God. And it wasn't some just neat little cold formal prayer. Uh, you know, he's on the ground, finding himself on the ground. His heart is burdened. Remember Nehemiah, another person we studied not too long ago? He prayed for four months. Why? His heart was burdened for his people. Are your heart burdened for your people? When was the last time you cried for unsaved souls? You know, sometimes when I drive to work, I mean, uh, to church on Sunday, and I take Sunbury, and sometimes I get a little depressed because I see people kayaking, I see people fishing, I see people running. It's Sunday. They don't want to go to church. Now, it's not 100% accurate. I don't know. Maybe they already went to church. But I'm just saying, all these people, God died for them. Where are they going to spend eternity? In this country still, we can gather freely, listen to the Word of God. Why don't people want to come? And God's trying to get you guys' attention by sending these type of things into our lives. I mean, one little coronavirus. And I'm thankful for it, not because of all the deaths, but really, if you think about it, statistically, 
there's a lot more people that turn to churches online looking for answers. Now, I'm not saying all those people will be saved, but some of them will be. And the reason I say with tears, if you look at Hebrews 5, 7, this is Jesus praying. Jesus. It says, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, there's forceful, passionate, intense matter with great feeling. Does that mark your prayer? Folks, this is Jesus with tears, cries. The only one who can walk in in God's presence has access to the throne, is praying and crying, weeping, and really that condemns me. I'm afraid I don't pray that way all the time as I need to be. And frankly, it challenged me as I studied this more. So Elijah was moved with the need of the people. He felt the pressure of the thing he prayed for. And he prayed with integrity, and he prayed with intensity, and folks, he also prayed with authority. If you look back in verse 41, it says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound abundance of rain. For there is the sound abundance of rain. I want to tell you something. When he prayed that prayer or when he said that, there wasn't a cloud in the sky when he said that. But he's saying, for there is a sound abundance of rain. He prayed with authority. In 18.1, it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. The reason he could play, pray with authority is because he had the word of God behind him. Do you understand that? The reason he prayed with authority is because he had the word of God behind him. I will send rain on the earth. And you see, our faith, it comes by hearing. If we look at Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. And I want to learn something here, pull over just for a moment. You see, it's very important praying with authority because God promised to send rain. God promised to send rain. Elijah knew it. God promised it. He announced it. For most of us, that would have settled it, wouldn't it? Would we have not prayed? Well, God already said he will send rain. Maybe we wouldn't pray very much. God said it. Why, why need to pray? But friend, the promise did not cause Elijah not to pray. That's what caused him to pray. And if you look at James 1.6, it says, But let him ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Elijah took the promise of God and turned it into a prayer. It was not made that, the promise did not make it unnecessary, it made it mandatory. And it's the very promises of God that teach us to pray. Follow me here. Promises of God is not where the prayer ends. It's where it begins. It's very, very mysterious as I studied this, but F.B. Meyer, he's one of the great Baptist preachers just like Spurgeon, he said, though the Bible is crowded with golden promises from board to board, they will be inoperative 
until we turn them into prayer. That's a very strange statement, isn't it? Here was a man. He knew what God's promised. He turned his promise into a prayer and claimed the promise. He was praying on the authority of the Word of God. So, folks, if we say God send revival and we really pray, and God said he will, we need to continue. Don't give up. Continue to pray. We have to have intensity in prayer. And then also, the most important part for me when we come to prayer is humility. He was praying in humility. If you look at verse 42 again, it says, He bowed down to the ground, put his face between his knees. And remember the first sermon that we preached here when we gathered back. If my people do what? Humble themselves. Humble themselves. And remember uh, the prayer that I said, God make us humble. That's a sorry prayer. And second, I wouldn't want God to humble me. It says, my people humble themselves. I don't want God to humble me. I'm afraid what he might do. So when we come into prayer, he humbled himself. He's a prophet. He already got the promises of God. He knows what God's going to do. He still comes into his presence, and he humbles himself. Why? Because he is God. He's God. And he will honor the person who comes to him in his presence humbly. If we look at 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And for, uh, James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. There's one thing about Elijah. See, he was, not, he was right with God. He was not backsliding or anything like that. And he was bold as a lion. Now, next chapter, he's fleeing. But in here, he's bold as a lion. Because in Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous, remember he was a righteous man, are bold as a lion. If you go back to 1 Kings 18.17, it says this, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, and Ahab said to him, Is that you, a troubler of Israel? He answered, No, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed Baals. Folks, he's talking to a king. You don't talk to a king like that. But where is his boldness comes from? He said, looked into the face of the king and said, you're the problem. He could have, you know, as in Alice in Wonderland, off with his head. But where does this boldness come from? Because he was just in a throne room with the king of kings. That's where the boldness comes from. And, and you humble yourself before God, and he will exalt you in due time. And the fear, folks, when I say fear, the proper fear of God, understand this, the proper fear of God removes all other fears. I like Elijah because he was a man of integrity. He prayed with intensity. He had the word of God behind him, remember? When, when they were building the walls in Nehemiah, they said, bring us the book. We want to hear the word. That's the authority. And then the humility. This man who has a promise from God, he speaks to God face to face, folks. Get this. And he's still down on his knees. Why? Hey, I'm a prophet. What's up, God? What you got to tell me? No, you don't enter God's presence like that. 
God, you've chosen me. You humble yourself when you come into your presence. Why? Because he is God. So when we humble ourselves in prayer to realize that we're nothing, God will answer our prayers. And we sit in churches, folks, unbent, unbroken, wonder why we don't have revival. The missing ingredient in much of our prayers, folks, is humility. Humility. My people call my name shall humble themselves, then he will heal their land. And look at James 4, 6, it says, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's what we need more of, his grace. We must humble ourselves as we enter in his presence. Second, the, the last point I want to talk about today is persistency in this prayer. He prayed with humility, but he also prayed with persistency. See, if you look at verse 43, it said, And I said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked, looked and said, There's nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Talk about asking, seeking, and knocking. Remember last Sunday we talked about Paul had a thorn. He prayed about it three times. He had a prayer meeting. God didn't answer prayer meeting three times. Well, this man, Elijah, is knocking on heaven's door, not three times, but seven times. Seven times. He went up, come back, there's nothing, back and forth, seven times. And Elijah kept praying and believing. He did not allow the outward circumstances affect his inward assurance that the answer was on the way. He was persistent. You know, if it probably been many of us, prayed one time, twice, three times, we would have stopped. Maybe God didn't hear, maybe God doesn't want to answer, I don't know what's going on. But Colossians 4.2 tells us, continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant in, with it thanksgiving. We are to keep knocking until we have an answer and wait on God. If, how long do you have to pray for something? Until you have an answer. Until you have an answer. In Isaiah 30.18 it says, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore he will be exalted and he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. God delays are not God's denials, folks. And prayer is asking, seeking, and knocking. And we actually read that in Matthew 7, 7 last Sunday. Therefore, it says here, the Lord, wait on the Lord and he may be gracious to you. Folks, I don't know, honestly, and I don't think anybody knows, why doesn't God always answer right away? It doesn't matter what the answer is. Not necessarily give us a yes, but just answer. How come there's no answer? Uh, the reason I say that is because he was a man with God, Elijah. He was righteous, absolutely right with God. He's praying for the right thing. He's praying for something God already promised, but yet... He has to pray for it seven times. God, you already promised rain, so send rain. End of story. No, why does he have to pray seven times for something that God said that he's already going to do? Look at verse 44. Then it came to pass the seventh time, and he said, There's a cloud as small as man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up to say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. He said, Hey, that's a little small cloud. You better get to town because your chariots won't make it. 
if you don't leave now. You're going to get stuck. He said, I'm going to go up to Mark Carmel and pray. He went up there on the mountain. He put his face between his knees. He humbled himself. Had a prayer meeting. Said to his servant, go see if anything over there by the ocean. See any clouds? No. Had another prayer meeting. He prays again. Servant says nothing. On the eighth trip, the servant saw a little cloud. And Elijah says, everybody get to town. It's about to downpour. It's going to be a storm coming. And here's the point I'm trying to make with this, folks. We have the promises of God in the Bible that we know what you need to pray for. And here's the point. Some of you prayed five, six times. You need to go back and pray seven, eight, nine, ten times. Here's the point. I've tried, I've prayed, and nothing, no rain. Don't give up just before the miracle. Imagine if Elijah just stopped praying on the sixth time. Like, well, must be not time yet. No, he kept praying. That's the point. Don't give up just before the rain of God's blessing. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Pray without ceasing. If we prayed six times, we should pray seven times. And folks, we should pray 77 times. And that's why I remember last Sunday I told you sometimes your prayers may be only answered after you're gone to the next life. But don't give up on praying. Keep praying. In 1 John 5, 14, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Isaiah 65, 24 says, And it should come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they were still speaking, I will hear. And Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God gave you His unlisted phone number right there. Jeremiah 33, 3. I will show you the things which you do not know. And folks, I want God to show this church mighty things for which we do not know. I've said it before. If, if anything happens in this church, I want people to look at it and say, because God did it. You know, kind of going off topic. But I was listening to one pastor, and he made a great point. In our churches today, if we had the rapture, Holy Spirit left. He made a comment, said, 99% of the churches would still just go on. Because we're so focused on the programs. We're so focused on different things in church. We forget the priority of the Word of God. We pray the priority of the, the of prayer. So it's an interesting thing. What if the Holy Spirit did leave? And people just go into church just like not even noticing it. But the Spirit is not there. But that's how we operate on the Holy Spirit. We need to be a praying church, folks. And if we're going to be a praying church, you have to be a praying Christian. Servants of God, the prayer is full-time job. And I want this to be a successful church, not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God. It needs to be a praying church. And when I say praying, folks, I don't mean lay me down to sleep type of prayers. We need to have some tears. We need to have some intensity. We need to pray. And let's be honest, you know, prayer does not sound very exciting to us. Does prayer sound exciting to you? It doesn't for me, I'll be honest. 
You know, it's like learning scales in music. Long ago, I tried to learn guitar, and I hired a teacher. And, you know, finally showed up on the first lesson. I brought my guitar. I'm like, going to learn some solos, you know, Leonard Skinner, Simple Man. He looks at me and says, why would you bring a guitar? He sits me behind the piano. says, we're going to learn some scales. Once you understand that, then maybe you can play some Leonard Skinner. That's the basics, the foundation of music. The foundation here with anything you want to get done, folks, is prayer. It's prayer. People get saved by prayer. As I demonstrated last week. But prayer, notice it in your life, is the first thing to go. If we're running late, busy week, what's the first thing to go? Prayer. Going on vacation somewhere, we used to you know, wake up and spend time in prayer or the nighttime when we're on vacation, we, you know, don't pray. Do you pray when you go to a restaurant? Sometimes we're on vacation, we don't want to. It's the first thing to go. Yet there's no other way to receive the blessings of God except through prayer. All spiritual blessings that God has to give or gives us come through life through a person, through petition, through intercession, through prayer. And if we want good things that God loves to give to, give to us, we must pray for them. Wisdom for life decisions come through prayer. So does the awesome presence of God in worship. Like I mentioned before, conversions of faith in Christ comes through prayer. Spiritual blessings come from God through prayer, folks. There's no way around it. And we cannot have a demonstration of power of God in our lives, in our worship, in our services, our evangelism, our families, our church, our nation, without prayer. So that's why I make such a thing about Mike's Wednesday night prayer meetings. I said, you have the most important part of the service. Any service we do here is the prayer service. And folks, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I don't have time to join. Sometimes I don't want to join. But when I do join, I, live, I, I leave uplifted. I, I leave refreshed. And I feel that I have strength to move on. 